is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That is right, your fourth choice host with the most, Nick, here with a special episode on Founders Day. Uh, happy Founders Day, everyone. Uh, to uh, to highlight the incredible work that our friends at the Chelsea Pitch Owners are doing right now in the midst of a lot of different uh, unique circumstances. So we're going to get into all of that um, as as we go. Um, again, you know, we've done this for for every episode over the last 10, 15 days. But y- you guys know um, through our charitable work and just kind of how we think about the world that our thoughts are with the Ukrainian people right now. Uh, we want to make sure that as many of those folks are as safe as humanly possible. So we have donated, um, you know, last uh, few episodes of ad revenue to the Ukrainian Red Cross and to the World Central Kitchen. So if you are able, um, please uh, send money to folks who are trying to to help on the ground. It's incredibly appreciated. Um, We know that there are a ton of charities, so just pick one. They all need a little bit of of love right now. as we get into later stage conversations uh, with Chris, who I'll introduce in a second, uh, please note, um, we are not lawyers. <laughs> uh, we know that there's a lot of fluid um, movement around the ownership situation at Chelsea right now. Uh, this is being recorded as of Sunday, March 6th at 2.24 p.m. Central Time. So it's entirely possible by the time this has been released on Thursday that, that things might have changed. So just understand that we're trying to do the best that we can with the information that we have. So, all right, preamble out of the way. Um, We are doing a quick Founders Day special on an important piece of the club, and that is the Chelsea Pitch Owners. We're going to do a little bit of intro. We're going to get to know uh, the director of CPO. We're going to get to know a little bit of the history and give you guys a refresher on why the CPO exists. We'll talk about the major responsibilities of the organization, some inflection points that have happened along the way in the history of the CPO, and then we're going to dive into the current situation uh, as it stands and and what that might mean looking ahead. Uh, We think it's an incredibly prudent conversation to have given uh, all of the uh, ownership uh, change situations that are happening right now. So that is what we are going to do. First and foremost, Happy Founders Day to everyone. Again, um, if you have been a longtime listener of this show, you will note that in spring of 2020, during the kind of first wave of the pandemic, we sat down with Rick Glanville, the official Chelsea historian, for about four and a half hours (laughs) and recorded a three-part series about the uh, entire 115 years up to that point uh, history of Chelsea Football Club. Uh, It was incredibly in-depth. We can listen to... Uh, Rick talk all day and we we might be doing something special with him in the future uh, again, which would be really fun. But if you are looking for a little bit of of the Founders Day juice, you're looking for a little bit of history lessons, we'll repost those uh, that three part series again for everyone to kind of revisit. Uh, We think it's an incredibly uh, good and informative series uh, that will hopefully help you bone up on your Chelsea trivia. Um, But yeah, Chelsea Football Club founded March 10th, 1905 at the Rising Sun, now the Butcher's Hook. Uh, Many of our friends have had drinks there over the years, so perhaps just uh, think of that the next time you go to the bridge. Uh, Remember that we did not originally play in uh, in Royal Blue. We played in something much worse as a color called Eaton Blue, and it's just not as good. So we're glad the club made the the change over to those colors and, and now have kind of adopted what the way we look and, and 
think about our club today. Senator Jake, um, it doesn't feel right to just listen to Nick talk about how great these episodes are without giving you guys a taste. Um, because they're seriously, I think, the favorites of almost all of us on the team, um, if not all of us. I'm speaking for myself. They're some of my favorite episodes. So let's go jump to Rick Glanville, who Nick just so perfectly spoke about, um, talking about why Founders Day is so important. And then go check the description for the full episode if you enjoy that after you listen to this one. So we, we celebrate the Founders Day every year at the club. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we've been so successful in the last 25 years or so. I mean, really one of the elite clubs in the world now. But, wow, we were, uh, we were a long way from that 50 years ago. And... Um, uh, you know, when I look back, being the official club historian, my uh, enviable task is to look at things from the perspective of now um, that are the same and the things that are very different. And in fact, if you look back 150 year, 15 years ago, um, other than the success that we've had, the club was very similar. And we'll come on to a lot of these uh, uh, these aspects that will chime with people today, like the fact that we were instantly described as a money bags club, uh, you know, the, the wealthiest club in the country. But we had a huge following. Uh, nine times in our early years, we had the largest uh, home average attendance of any club uh, in England. And it's my conjecture that actually we had the largest home attendance on average in the world at certain times. And um, uh, but you can tell from the, uh, the 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 founders and and other and the the way that they handled the club in those early days that, funny enough, very little has changed uh, even <laughs> since Roman Abramovich took over in two thousand and three. In fact, I always say the 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 bit that wasn't continuous in the Chelsea story. Uh, was the part from, say, 1975 to 1995. That was the kind of aberration in our long history. And the rest of the time, we were just buying great players and um, not having a great deal of success, but being really attractive and exciting and a, always a new story, uh, always something going on. Uh, so kind of uh, the, uh, attracting a following of people that just like to be entertained. And it's only really since uh, the 90s that we slightly, we carried on spending that money, but we brought the success with it. And I think the key was buying good defenders and good goalkeepers rather than just going for goal scorers the whole time. In any case. Uh, so what do you want to know about the foundation? Should we talk about what it was like, uh, why they set up the club? And, uh, because Chelsea was yeah, almost uniquely a club built from scratch. It didn't come out of a, like a factory team or a church team or, or a Sunday team. It was just literally started from scratch at a, uh, an athletic stadium that had been there uh, in the area since 1870. So shall I tell you a little bit about the, uh, the, the founders and why they went, went through this kind of thing? All right. If that doesn't get you hooked, I don't know what will. That's literally the official club historian, Rick Glanville, the sweetest man, told us the coolest stories, gave us all this time. Go listen to those episodes. They're in the description. But for now, it's back to Nick for more on Founders Day 
and the Chelsea Pitch Owners. Uh, happy Founders Day to everyone. Again, please uh, go check out the old shows and, uh, and get your history lessons boned up on. All right. Now we're going to get into the CPO stuff. Just a very quick preamble today. I want to uh, introduce Chris Isaac, who is the uh, CPO shareholder and director, just a casual director title there, Chris. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, could you give a little bit of background on yourself and how you became the director of the CPO? Okay. First of all, um, happy families to everybody. And thanks very much for having me on the podcast today. It's, it's, a, it's a, an honor, as they say. Well pleased to be here. My name is Chris Isaac. I've been a Chelsea fan or came to my first game at Stamford Bridge in 1966, which is a typically gritty, dour London derby between Chelsea and West Ham on, on December the whatever it was in 1966, finished in a very dull 5-5 draw. Um, and from then, um, lived on through that, through through school days and onwards and upwards. And then I've been a shareholder at uh, CPO since 2016. I actually had my share presented on the pitch um, at the famous Battle of the Bridge, the 2-2 draw between Chelsea and Spurs, the night that Spurs lost the league. Um, what a fantastic night that was. <laughs> and my share was actually presented on the pitch just at the end of the warm-up by the guy who was sub that night who came on to change the game. That was Aiden Hazard. And that was a real thrill. I still got this picture on the wall of me and him, him presenting me with my share. Um, so that was a fantastic night. And then I came on to the board of CPO in just about two years ago, June 2020, um, having answered uh, the plea from uh, from the board in sort of February, March, for people to apply to, to, to join the board and thought this is a really good way to get involved with the club and, and share my commitment and uh, give something back. Um, so I'd be very pleased to be a director for the last, getting on for two years now. Um, and it's been <laughs> interesting. The fact is all of it's been during pandemic. All of it's been during some some rather interesting times. Um, so to say, not just the pandemic, um, European Super League, what we're going through now. So um, the certain next few years are slightly quieter once we get all, all this excitement out of the way. And that's me. We we have a we have a saying on the show, Chris, that it's chaos and trophies. That's that's what we do. It is. <laughs> and it's about sums it up. It's, yeah, it's about it's about it. Can you talk just briefly about you know what the CPO is and what its function is before we before we get into a quick ad break and the rest of the content? Sure. Okay. Um, CPO Chelsea Pitch Owners um, is owned by Chelsea fans, so the ground is owned by Chelsea Pitch Owners. And Chelsea Pitch Owners is owned by the fans. As we know, the ground was purchased by means of a loan. Um, and through various, it was set up by Ken Bates, basically 1993, as we know. The current uh, lender uh, to CPO is the, is the football club itself. And around about 8 million of that loan remains outstanding. And the club leases the ground from CPO at what we call a peppercorn rent. And that lease, as we know, um, on to 2196, so like a 199-year lease. And in theory, the loan is due to be repaid by that date. Um, and what the what the leasehold means for CPO is that if the club ever decided not to play at Stamford Bridge anymore, to go and play elsewhere, they couldn't use the name Chelsea. So that is a really, really strong uh, endorsement of the fans and their um, their. Uh, involvement in the club 
and sort of the uh, the commitment and the opportunity that the fans have to get involved with CPO and therefore have that sort of um, power over the club, but that they involvement in in how how the future of the club sort of pans out over the next two years or so. Um, the really good thing about CPO is it's right in line with the sort of thing that the Tracy Crouch review on fan-led, or the fan-led review that Tracy Crouch's, Crouch's committee set up last year. This is exactly, exactly the sort of thing which they are really, really keen on, um, and they actually think is a useful model, um, looking at um, things going forward, not just for Chelsea, but across the, the sport in general. Um, so that's really where we are. We've got around about 12, between 12 and 13,000 shareholders around the world. Last count, we had, I think we're in 45 different countries around the world. Obviously, the US is a huge market for us, for the very passionate and, and committed fans, which is brilliant. Um, we also have fans in Australasia, China, um, all over Europe. India is another big market for us as well. Um, so it really just... Uh, calls out the popularity, the worldwide popularity of Chelsea FC um, and the fans' willingness and uh, and desire to, to to commit and take part in the in the CPO program. This is a you know, I think it's a it's an interesting note, right? Because this is not the model for many clubs. Um, in fact it's probably a model for very few clubs. You know, obviously there's the the effort to maybe make it a more prominent model in the in the football pyramid, but uh, how how unique is this setup, um, given the size and prominence of Chelsea Football Club uh, in this current structure in the footballing pyramid? Well, I think we we believe it's unique as far as professional football is concerned. I think there are um, there are instances, and we've been contacted by clubs further down the the ladder, down at grassroots level, where similar operations are in place. But I don't believe there's anywhere else in in the professional football setup in the UK. Um, I don't think it exists anywhere else. So it is that we we believe it's a fairly it is a unique proposition. So uh, this is your uh, first. There will be many uh, calls to action here, but all three uh, of our London is blue hosts, myself, Brandon, and Dan, are all uh, CPO shareholders. Uh, if you could see my wall, you'd see my signed Cesar Espilicueta, uh share on hanging on the wall proudly. Uh, Please, uh, if you are able financially, and we know that not everyone is, but if you are able to financially, uh, you can find out more information about how to potentially buy a share, do some research at uh, chelseafc.com forward slash CPO forward slash buy dash a dash share. And there's a ton of information. It's a very easy process. You send in a PDF, they send you the thing. It's great. So. Uh, that is the first call to action there. We're going to take a quick ad break uh, and then get into the rest of the content and make sure that there is a, a firm understanding of all the great things that CPO is doing, uh, both in the past and in the future. We will be right back. All right. Uh, as you guys know, we are uh, always hunting for, for five-star reviews and uh, and wonderful comments on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So if you have not done that yet, please go ahead and, uh, and submit your five-star review. That's always helpful. Uh, it's a really good time as well to think about Patreon. Um, I, we don't normally push it that hard, but we have some special, uh, unique uh, and exclusive content that is coming onto that platform. Uh, we are doing five pod weeks right now. Our feed is full. So we are trying to figure out different ways for our collaborators to express themselves. And uh, if you're a fan of in-depth Joe Tweeds type content or articles about the women's team or any sort of that stuff, please visit us on Patreon and see if it's worth uh, the bang for your buck. 
And then, of course, uh, like I said before, if you have any spare change, uh, please consider donating to to help the victims in Ukraine. This is a it's a worldwide tragedy, and we just want to make sure that we're doing our part. So, uh, those are your three right there. And go buy a share of CPO while you're doing all that stuff. Um, all right, let's talk a little history, Chris, um, because we were just kind of referencing how unique uh, the CPO is amongst uh, the footballing pyramid, especially at the professional level. Can you give us a sense of the history? How did this come to be as a part of our uh, wonderful club? Okay, so um, as I said earlier, it goes back to Ken Bates' days. Um, and these, the CPO thing was really based around the time when um, it was around the time Glenn Hoddle came to be manager, actually, because originally the freehold was put in position. Ken Bates wanted to sell the freeholds to, to separate the freehold from the club. Was that at that time Chelsea was in danger of going out of business and the land was attractive for redevelopment. So what he wanted to do was to separate out the two so that anybody buying the club didn't buy the pitch and redevelop it. At that point, the value of the freehold was estimated to be around 5 million. So that was the prospectus that went out for people to buy shares uh, to fund the 5 million to buy the to buy the freehold. Then up came Glenn Hoddle, bless him, and decided he wanted a much bigger pitch to play on than was currently available. So he wanted to, um, you know, to really promote the, the footballing skills of the squad he was going to put together. Therefore, he needed a bigger, bigger pitch. So the whole freehold had to be rejigged. Bits of the stand that were going to be there had to be moved back a bit. That included the shed and the uh, the west stand. Um, and the eventual value of the freehold, having made the pitch bigger, was basically doubled, just over ten million. Um, so that was the uh, <laughs> that was the uh, that was the um, joy of uh, putting that that deal together. Um, so that still meant that we had a forty two thousand capacity, which was basically the target that the club was looking for at the time. So on on the back of that, um, shares were then put on sale, um, and in the first few years, around about seven eight thousand shares were sold. That was still a long way away from um, meeting the overall size of the 10 million loan. Um, so in 1997, um, the deal was restructured and the club itself um, put the put the loan together and CPO entered into a leasehold and loan agreement with the club itself on another 199-year lease. And that basically is where we are now. So since then, we've been selling shares. We've sold around about 24 23, 24,000 shares as it stands at the moment. And I'll say a roundabout because even this week, we've seen fantastic interest, of course, uh, people wanting to become shareholders and find out more about what goes on. So that number was, is rising all the time, which is, which is great news. So I guess a quick question, you know, as you, as you detailed it there, the club originally wanted to separate these two entities, right? So the pitch owner or the, the freehold was separate from the club. The you know the freehold is then entered into a loan agreement, um, and that's done to expand the pitch and make the ground better. Then the club comes in after that and helps to restructure that agreement and basically takes over that that loan with the CPO. So it's kind of back together, but kind of not. Like that is that a little taste of of what happened, or is there a, a more uh, synthesized way of, of talking about the relationship between the club and the CPO? Um I think that's a that's a pretty fair that's a pretty fair assessment of, of where we are. Um the um Chelsea say Chelsea Village, which was the club at the time, approached 
uh, CPO to see if there was a way to that the arrangement that was originally there could be amended so that um, you know the, the there's another way to to fund the loan. So um, it was, the, as I say, the club that led CPO the funds to uh, to put the deal together, um, and in return for that, CPO granted the lease to the club directly um, with a peppercorn wrench involved. Can you maybe quickly talk about how close Chelsea was to going out of business previously? Because we we know, like, we hear stories, and oftentimes I think it's unfairly pitted that it's like the club versus CPO, and there's this dramatic battle happening, but clearly. This was all kind of in survival mode originally, right? Yeah, I think I, I, it's uh, to say it's um, a while ago, thirty years ago, that the club was in was in dire straits. It was, it was sort of um, yo-yoing between Division One and Division Two. Um, there was all sorts of financial issues with the club, and um, you know the, the opportunity for spending money to buy players or to improve the ground it just wasn't there. So there was a there was a very difficult situation that they were in, and you know there was a. The Ken Bates to put this deal together was a was a really you know it's like the gold the golden share if you like it was the it was the, the deal that saved the club. So a hundred ninety nine year lease. Uh, we'll luckily uh, not see that out ourselves, but but hopefully our our uh, our fellow fans that come after us will kind of see that out. Can you maybe talk about? your core responsibilities as director for CPO. Um, we, we know that the, you know, that you guys and the Chelsea supporters trust are oftentimes uh, linked together, but I, I'm really just looking to kind of designate what you and the CPO do as, as kind of an operating structure and, and how you guys work. Okay. Well, the, the, the principal role of CPO is, is as effectively landlord. Mm-hmm. So CPO has obviously no, um, involvement in the day-to-day running of the club or footballing activities or anything like that. Um, it doesn't have any particular reference to um, supporters or the you know the the individual and, and sort of group needs that the supporters have, which may be revolving around ticket prices or the price of the beer or whatever it happens to be or away travel. Those sorts of issues are more better directed at some of the very able um, supporters groups like Chelsea Supporters Trust or the Supporters Group or the Supporters Club, all of whom do a good job, and we work very closely with those on a number of number of issues. Our role is purely that of landlord. It's our role to ensure that principally um, that we in, that we use our best endeavours to pay off the loan, and our best endeavours involves how we sell shares, whatever else we can do to raise uh, revenue. Um, and we've done things like we have a CPO lunch um, normally every year if we can. And we've done other things like get involved in um, training days and things like that. So as long as we're using our best endeavours to sell shares, that's our principal role. How do you keep shareholders involved uh, and, and aware of all the you know developing news or situations or, or things that are happening around the CPO? Um, it's, a, it's a very simple process. We have an annual general meeting in January every year. Uh, we update um, shareholders as we can throughout the year by means of social media. Um, as a as a purely voluntary operation, we don't have a lot of funds, so we're not able to do expensive mail-outs a lot of the time, so we do rely on social media um, and website activity. Our website actually is hosted through the club, mm-hmm. um, which is, um, you know, we're very grateful for for them for doing that hosting for us, and they do a lot of the, uh, the content and actually... Um, put stuff up for us which we send to them so it's a perhaps 
an area that, that CPO can, uh, could and should improve on. And we're looking at ways to try and do that, uh, bearing in mind that we're all doing this for nothing, as, as most of us are. Um, so it's uh, <laughs> trying to find a way to do that without incurring huge amounts of cost. Right. And if you're looking to uh, follow Chelsea Pitch Owners on Twitter, it's at Pitch Owners. Very simple. Just go ahead and follow correct. right there. And uh, yep. that's that's the best way to kind of stay up to date, right? It is. I think there's around about eight to 9,000 followers at the moment. And that's, again, that has shot up in the last sort of few weeks or so. The more the merrier, guys. So keep uh, keep following, keep sending us your uh, your comments and your ideas. Uh, we're always open to uh, ideas to raise, find ways to raise funds or to make our share sales more attractive. Uh, we put a lot of special editions together, obviously having some of the key players Signing them and getting those as part of the uh, part of the package as well is, is great. Um, but uh, we have a, a lot of shares still to sell, and we'd love to find ways to sell more of them all over the world. Go buy shares. Um, all right. Can you maybe talk about the rest of the executive team that you guys have uh, put together and give everyone a little bit of uh, a shout out here? Okay. Um, in no particular order, um, Steve Frankham. Um, Steve's been a director of CPO more or less from the beginning. Um, he runs a very successful construction company in the London area. Um, and again, has been a Chelsea fan since Adam was a lad and has been has, uh, you know, a lot of experience within the CPO group um, and has a great, uh, great base of contacts, which really is really helpful for us um, doing, our, doing our jobs. Then we have uh, Jeanette Gower. Jeanette is in charge of all the PR and social media. Jeanette runs her own PR company in the Thames Valley area. And again, she and her husband and her son are lifelong Chelsea fans and go to every game. Then we have Sean Jones. Sean is a barrister who specializes in uh, employment law and is very well connected with sports law as well. So again, his experience and his professional knowledge is invaluable. He lives just a few miles away from the grounds, very close. And then we have Mark Eyre. Mark is in the finance industry. He works for a uh, card company. So he's very helpful uh, and very useful uh, skill set to support our finances and works very closely with uh, the team that administer the shares on a a day-to-day basis. And finally, Miriam Greenwood. Uh, Miriam is a... um, non-exec director for a couple of really big firms around the London area and again has been a lifelong Chelsea fan and we're very pleased to have her experience in corporate governments uh, just to uh, oversee the overall running of the uh, of the company. So six in total, six directors. Um, my own background is in consumer goods. I've been in consumer goods for most of my life and have operated for companies working around the world. All right. So that's the squad. That's the dream team that uh, that's helping to make this all happen. Uh, I guess, you know, before we dive into kind of what comes next, I think I, I wanted to take a couple of uh, looks back at, you know, how we how we got here. Right. Obviously, I think, you know, you, you touched on um, Ken Bates kind of formulating uh, what is known as CPO now and, and the inflection points that led to that. Can you maybe talk about the sale to Roman back in, in 2003 and, and how that uh, affected you guys and, and what the future looked like at that point? Okay, um, so not having been involved at the time, but from what we understand from talking amongst the group, um, the, the purchase by 
Mr. Brunovich from Ken Bates back in 2003. Um, allegedly, um, the Abramovich team weren't aware of CPO or what was involved at the time, but I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I have heard that a few times. Um, but I think really, it really came to a head, as, as we know, in 2011, when there are the club, I think, was looking to to play elsewhere. You know, we talked about, or we'd heard about Earl's Court or Battersea Power Station. Um, it's obvious that the that the club needed to, to pursue its dream to find a bigger stadium. Um, but at that time, other other clubs in London were talking about building bigger stadiums. And as I said to some the other day, there's no point being the biggest club in London if you haven't got the biggest stadium. <laughs> so we could understand the business um, dynamics that were leading the club down that route. Um, but of course, the CPO issue was something that they weren't able to get around, um, and uh, uh, the, the, the Say No campaign that was launched in 2011 really kicked off and did a fantastic job for those of us that wanted to keep football playing at Stanford Bridge. And of the, uh, you know, the at the EGM, 75% of the shareholders needed to agree um, to sell CPO outright back to the club, but only 61% agreed. So the um, the, uh, the attempts to buy out CBO and to close it down uh, wasn't successful. As a result of that, um, as we know, the share sales were suspended. And there was a difficult few years after that, mm -hmm. uh, difficult relationships, and um, you know, things, were, things were a bit tight. But uh, pleased to say that things have improved since then. And um, the new stadium that came up, the plans to do stadium that came up sort of 2016-17, was a great way to uh, to re-engage with the club in a much more professional and cooperative manner. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of us remember the uh, the difficult bits in, in 2011, 2012, uh, how that, how the, you know, I think supporter reaction and CPO reaction went against, I think, what, what seemed to be um, not a fantastic um, communication exercise by the club uh, to potentially move. Um, it did seem like in 2016-17 that their lessons had been learned. Uh, can you maybe talk through, you know, any sort of insight into how that process came about or if, or if communications were uh, much different in that go-around, even though obviously the stadium has not been built and is, is on uh, an indefinite pause? Hmm. Well, I think the, the overall um, project to redevelop the stadium was a was a very positive one. I think we were all very much in favour of it because it gave us everything that we wanted. It gave us a as part of a 60,000 capacity stadium at Stamford Bridge, which is the ideal, the perfect solution for everybody. Um, and having seen the plans and and heard all the stories, it would have been absolutely fantastic to, you know, to dig down however many metres it was to create this amphitheatre Barcelona-style bowl, if you like, um, to play, and it was it was an absolute perfect uh, perfect scenario if it had, if it had come off. CPO was was naturally involved through the whole process as landlord because we had to give. You know, we were involved in giving consent and applying for certain parts of the legal procedure was was with CPO as opposed to with the club because CPO was after all the landlord or the freeholder. Um, but you know, support and cooperation. We're very happy to do that, and we worked as close as we could uh, with all the guys at the at the club and um, and uh, on the legal side and the planning side to make sure that we gave everything that we possibly could do, um, which involved um, various trips to 
to court to, to sort out some <laughs> some objections that came through from various parts of the local community, which we hope we all got resolved as best we could. So at the end of the day, it was a good solution. The the, uh, the planning application was approved by Hammersmith and Fulham Council, and we were looking forward to the next steps. And I think they were just about to start knocking down the health club. Um, and then the project was just put on hold indefinitely, unfortunately. Unfortunately, indeed. Well, look, that's, that's the past. Uh, obviously, I think... Uh, what folks are intrigued by now is is what comes next. Um, we're just going to quickly touch on the last like 10 to 15 days, though. I think it's been a whirlwind for most Chelsea fans who uh, now know that uh, Mr. Abramovich is, is selling the club. Uh, he came out with a statement uh, last Wednesday saying that, you know, it's in the best interests of the club, the staff, the supporters and and everything, the playing staff, stuff like that. So uh, I guess, how did you take the news initially and, and kind of what was the mood inside of the CPO when that was announced? Well, I think I think our first reaction was as fans and we we're all desperately sorry to hear the news. Um, we've all lived through the last 19 years of unparalleled and unprecedented success on the pitch and it's created this uh, the beast, which is Chelsea Football Club, that we are so proud to be a part of um, from a... CPO point of view, obviously there's a certain amount of uncertainty because uh, we weren't consulted and wouldn't have expected to be consulted. Quite simply, our role as, as landlord, we've been landlord for a previous owner before that, and uh, you know there'll be another owner to come and more owners in the future. So our role as as landlord isn't necessarily going to see us getting involved in the decisions behind selling a club or why it's going to be sold or who it's going to be sold to. That isn't our concern. Our concern really is to protect uh, the sanctity of Stanford Bridge as a football ground to make sure that the, whenever the new owners come in, whoever they are, um, they're fully au fait with their responsibilities and our responsibilities to make sure that we can work together for the best um, for the best future of Chelsea Football Club. So our role really was was initially just to to wait and see. Um, you know, as we know. From Chelsea Football Club, there's not a great uh, amount of communication goes out. Um, so rather than listening to, to stories or making stuff up, we, you know, we've been content to see what's going on. Um, there has been a bit of communication since that day that we're just keeping close to our chest for the time being, just to make sure that we're um, representing the best um, you know, the, the best resources for uh, for the football club to make sure that everything goes goes through. Um, what it means for us going forward. It's business as usual. As I said to you before, there's uh, there's been owners in the past, there'll be owners in the future. Um, our, our role is to protect the future of football being played at Stamford Bridge. Is there anything, you know, when, when the when the sale was announced, is there anything that CPO uh, had to do, you know, as, as landlords or anything like that in this initial, you know, kind of vetting uh, period that we're in right now for the new ownership? No, I think it was, I think it was just within our responsibility just to remind um remind the club and to make sure that uh, there was enough um, enough noise around CPO so that people remembered who we are and what we do and then the fact that um, you know anybody coming in has to take has to take CPO into account and not immediately plan to um, to move the ground elsewhere or to you know, come up with any ideas that, that might be in contradiction to the to the uh, to the lease um, so it's about protecting existing relationships, if you like. Well, and I think given those relationships, right, I mean, CPO is, has, I think, improved relationships with the current board structure. 
Um, are there any concerns uh, with incoming ownership or are you guys looking forward to uh, forming new relationships with the with the new ownership group? Well, we are looking forward to whatever new um, new group comes in. And yes, we'd like to, like to work, work closely with them and, and look forward to that. As to any concerns, I think um, we sort of assume that the vetting process that we read about is going to be effective and that the only people being considered to take over the club are people that are going to want to invest in the future of it. Um, from our point of view, we, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a two, two stage process, isn't it? First of all, it's buying the club, um, which is where the, you know, the, the, the big down payment comes in, but also the second part and as important for us is the fact that the stadium will need to be redeveloped fairly shortly. So there's a, as a double whammy, if you like. So it's not just about who comes into by the club, but their commitment to uh, to move forward and work uh, to to develop the stadium going forward. So those are the two things. So we're assuming that the people coming into the final the final furlong of this uh, of this buyout are going to be people who are going to commit to that. Is is that the you know kind of one of the first major actions you think is is kind of resurrecting the redevelopment talks? I think it's an important part of what's of what's going to come next. Whether it's um, it may be a few years down the line yet, but I think certainly it's um, uh, as I say, it's one thing to be the best team in London, but you've got to have the best stadium. And I think anybody coming in will want to have that as uh, um, as one of the mantras going forward. Can you uh, you know maybe talk a little bit about your relationship with the Chelsea Supporters Trust? I think. Oftentimes, just with acronyms and the amount of uh, supporters groups that are around Chelsea that maybe you can conflate the two groups or whatever. But Chelsea Pitch Owners, Chelsea Supporters Trust, can you maybe give a little bit of a, a descriptor on how you work with them, how they work with you and how you guys support each other? Well, I think we work in tandem and I think it's a, it's a relationship that has certainly blossomed over the last sort of 18 months or so. And it's been one of my key um key tasks since I came into the role. Um, Chelsea Supporters Trust do fantastic work, not just around the fans, but around the community of Stanford Bridge as well. They organise, the, there's, there's the sleep out, there's the food bank they do. Um, they work really hard um, collating information, feedback from fans, which they then take to the club. And as we talked about earlier, it's about ticket prices. How do you, you know, the, the virtual waiting room to buy tickets? Um, some of the issues about the catering or the comfort of the stands, the you know, safe standing, all those sorts of issues have been ones that the supporters trust have raised very vocally and very effectively with the club over the last few years or so. They support us in as much as they understand that CPO and uh, its, its role within the club and the importance of selling shares. And in our in our turn, when we get questions from our shareholders about some issues that we feel are more relevant to supporters' trust, we work with them to make sure that these uh, these queries get answered. So it's a it's a you know, it's a, a partnership that we think is is working pretty well at the moment, and we're looking forward to developing it even further as we go forward. Can you maybe discuss uh, you know the the special meeting that was held uh, today as as it pertains to the Chelsea Supporters Trust and I think this was largely geared around uh, their uh, emphasis for any new ownership groups, right? Yeah, they think um, they they certainly put up uh, a lot of stuff on social media the last sort of 24, 48 hours or so. Um, and they're um, I don't know in front of me, but certainly their their key demands were one of which was actually to ensure that um, um, it was the future of, for example, uh, the women's team um, to make sure that um, that there was, 
one of the key things that we're looking for is to actually have the uh, the loan that CPO works under to have it um, forgiven either by the current um, management team at Chelsea Football Club or by the new owners coming in. So whether that's uh, done now or, or later on, that's uh, that's either or. But uh, we're we're keen to actually get that um, to get that uh, forgiven so that we can move forward and work without the uh, the loan hanging over our heads, if you like, mm-hmm. and work for the you know, for the for the future of the club um, um, totally unencumbered. Um, CST have also asked for, for example, a golden share for for the fans to protect um, their aspects of the club's heritage, and that also falls very much in line with the Tracy Crouch review that took place last year. Um, they're asking for a shadow board of uh, supporters to work underneath the, the, foot, the football club board, and as I say, the foot, the the, the women's team um, that we talked about earlier. Um, so there's a number of things there that um, you know, they they want to. Um, Get up up front and centre for when the new owners come in, which they are all entirely laudable um, demands, and CPO fully supports those uh, those demands and looks forward to working with them to make sure they get um, discussed at the right level. Yeah, they are at Chelsea S Trust on Twitter, and obviously these guys do a great job of representing supporters' interests across the board. Uh, I think it uh, will come to no one's surprise that during the European Super League. Uh, fiasco last year that they were front and center helping to disseminate information then to uh, relay uh, feedback to the club on on how that situation went down so if you are uh, if you're able to go on twitter it's chelsea s trust to go follow the supporters trust um i I guess just want to wrap up chris with a couple of items um you've obviously been uh, the director for for a couple of years uh, can you maybe talk about the the hopes or, or any sort of future endeavors that you guys have planned um, that you can talk about uh, as it pertains to right now? Well, I think is CPO is very simple in its in its structure. It, it exists to sell shares, so we'd love to find a way that we could actually either sell all the shares that we need to to pay off the loan, or to find some other way i.e. to get the loan paid off forgiven. So basically, all our work revolves around how can we sell more shares what can we can we do to make them more um attractive how can we maximize the best revenue for them um you know we'd we'd love to have more opportunities to get shares present on the pitch because a lot of a lot of people buying shares would love to stand on the on the hallowed turf and have it presented by one of their one of their heroes so we'd love to try and get the club to give us more slots to be able to do that the moment it's restricted at the moment we can't get on anyway because of covid but when that does open up again you know we've got quite a long waiting list of people when they get on and do that um but then to find other ways that we can promote cpo in a fundraising perspective and it may mean we start to look at different types of merchandise there's no particular there's no particular sort of badge you can wear to say that you're a cpo member so we're looking at ways to try and do that um within the um, you know, within the merchandise possibilities, some of those are restricted by the club and the, the club sponsors as to what you can do with the with the logos. Um, but there are opportunities that we think we can maximise um, that would give people more opportunity to show their ownership to of CPO and be proud to be a, a shareholder. And um, you know, any merchandise like that is also good advertising, which should get other people to buy stuff as well. So it's um, it's that sort of thing that we're that we're working on the moment. Okay, so buying a share. Or two or three, whatever suits your your fancy. Obviously, a great Absolutely. way to get involved. Uh, following uh, on social media and and sharing out your guys's uh, content 
Is there anything else that our listeners, uh, whether in the UK or, you know, worldwide, like, like I'm talking to you now from Kansas City, uh, anything that you would have the rest of us do to help uh, embolden CPO moving forward? I think um, it's simply buy shares. Buy shares, tell your friends to buy shares, tell your family, tell the people you work with, tell the people to sit next to them on the bus, buy share in Chelsea Football, best club in the world. There's all sorts of ways you can do that. You can just buy a simple, simple share that gets sent to you electronically. You can buy one that's that's signed by a player in a frame. Um, there's all sorts of ways to do it. And every time you buy a share, you're supporting CPO and helping pay off the loan to give us the opportunity to own this freehold outright. Well, let's let's hope that there is some uh, some larger club structuring that's done that allows that to happen, and that anything that we do is a cherry on top. Uh, but Chris Isaac, thank you uh, very much for for joining. Obviously, we're uh, thrilled that uh, we have some steady leadership uh, at CPL through this uh, uh, kind of difficult process that, that Chelsea's going to go through over the next few months. And uh, it's just great to know that there are good people helping to lead the charge. We're all in it together, all, all pulling for the same club. All right. Well, that's it. Chelsea fans, uh, go buy CPO shares. I don't know if we've said that yet. Um, <laughs> go make that happen. Uh, if you go to, uh, if you just look up CPO on Google or whatever, it'll take you right to the to the page on the club website. Uh, obviously, go follow at Pitch Owners and uh, and tell your friends about that. Uh, and then support our friends at Chelsea S Trust as well, and make sure that um, that they have uh, your love and support, especially as new ownership comes in, and we want everyone's interest to be represented. So uh, look, there's a lot of stuff going on. We will obviously be back with periodic updates as the uh, sale and all that stuff becomes complete. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.